Welcome to the Investor Gains podcast. My name is Mark James. Best part of my role here is the people and the companies that I have the privilege to get to meet. In this series, I'm in discussion with a variety of the CEOs, founders, other stakeholders I've got to know over the years in the game sector. Uh, in particular, I'm quite keen to delve into their backstories. So join us as we find out how they got into games, as well as obviously their view on the current outlook for the sector. This week, I'm joined by Cherry Freeman, uh, founder and general partner at Hero Capital. Cherry leads Hero's deal pipeline and focuses on games, media platforms, and software investments. The team are Hero, and, and we were lucky enough to have Serene Livingston, one of Cherry's partners, on a pri- previous forecast. I've angeled between them over, over 9 billion of some extraordinary games, sports, and, and technology brands, and I'm sure we'll come onto them. Uh, and I'm looking forward to delving into what Cherry's seeing at the moment. Um, but prior to that, you know, I'd really like to get go into some of the, you know, how, how she arrived in the game sector in the first place. If I if I read out here, you were the co-founder of um, e-commerce brand Love's Craft, spent a decade working with venture-backed companies, seven years at Computer Center, you know, building a software division that grew to 250 million in revenues. I'm fairly sure that's that's not been a straight line, but let, let's hear less from me. Welcome to Cherry. Very keen to get into your current role. I think it'd be remiss of me, however, to not, not start with, you know, everything you did prior to Hero. So, as I said, I can't imagine that Lovecraft through Computer Center, and I'm sure I glossed over a whole pile of other things, wasn't a really straight line. Can we talk about the the origins of Lovecraft and, and, and how you then arrived at Hero? Of Lovecraft, sure. Um, so I had actually, I'd been working at Computer Center and then I had my first child and decided I want to work part-time. So um, I set myself up as an independent consultant and started advising uh, early stage tech companies which turned out actually all to be software as a service businesses and spent about eight years working with companies like um, Mimecast for example um, which has recently been taken private uh, by Pamira um, and a whole you know Symantec Cloud uh, through to some much smaller businesses and that worked fantastically well because I got to be a little bit of an entrepreneur a little bit of an advisor roll my sleeves up but I was missing that kind of real sense of ownership that I'd had earlier on in my in my career. Um, and one of my, an old friend and colleague from BCG and also from Boo.com, which you might remember as one of yep, the kind of okay. original uh, Web1 um, e-commerce businesses, um, had uh, been playing around with e-commerce as an area that he felt was not properly done yet. Um, exploring some niches, and he had a couple of um, he had a couple of sort of test websites that he'd built. One was a jigsaw website, um, and the other was a wool website. And um, he got in touch with me, and he said, "Cherry, weird things happening. I'm getting quite a lot of orders off this wool website, and I've only got a few things up there, and I'm not really sure what to do." So, long story short, I stopped doing most of my advisory work, and I. Um, I came to help him, and within a couple of months, I joined as a I joined as a co-founder, um, and we, you know, we closed down the jigsaw business, um, and we uh, started to try and figure out, you know, why were people why were people finding um, finding what was then called love knitting, um, and why were they buying yarn from us? And the answer was um, partly uh, just the um, the purchase frequency of crafters you always yeah. have a cra- you always have a project on the go um, and you're always interested to kind of touch and feel the latest most exciting uh, new yarn um, 
but actually you know as a as an online proposition pretty weakly pretty weakly done with the expectation that either from physical shops either you're looking at kind of a huge warehouse in America that might be a Joann's or a Michael's which might have you know it's got kids it's basically sort of kids play stuff next to the serious stuff if you're a serious crafter but not much choice super cheap acrylic kind of not so not kind of nasty yarns um, alongside some knitting some embroidery some painting you're sort of in an emporium or you're in a sort of a niche local yarn store where there's somebody who can really help you and advise you and give you that sense of community and connection um, but just you know because these are small locally run shops they don't have much in the way of stop breadth or depth so we thought we could really break that compromise um, with a you know with a really curated but very wide set of of, of offerings in terms of physical product but equally we could we could create if you remember what Mary Mika was writing about back in um, the 2000s you know the kind of content commerce community yeah, we could you know that with the digital world we could really structure that together and we could see the need because what would happen is somebody would buy some yarn from us and then a few weeks later we'd get a letter uh, with a photograph of what they'd made say thank you so much I loved your yarn look what I've made isn't it great and we thought wouldn't people love to see this online so you can see the yarn but you can also find the pattern you can get the inspiration for what you're going to make with it um, and then you can share your creation with other makers and that was really how the wider concept of Lovecraft was born and so we hung together this sort of discovery platform where independent uh, designers could post their designs, their knitting patterns, their crochet patterns, their sewing patterns and so on. Um, and crafters could then use that as their discovery, you know, the, the magazine, the Pinteresty style um, kind of browse content, look at what inspires you, but then add to, add to basket in one click everything I need to make to make this jumper or this dress or whatever it's funny, it is. It's funny, you know, because listening to you speak, I, had, I hadn't stopped to think about the interaction and the engagement element or potential engagement element of it in my head. I just thought people would just be going onto the website and buying things. I hadn't thought about the sharing aspect. I'm sure there's an element of that in, in, in what, you're, what you're doing now. So, look, fascinating, fascinating story. And I, I wrote down here before we started, you got voted Britain's coolest female founder. By business insider, so no no pressure there. Um, I feel like it's uh, then, been down. It's been downhill ever since. <laughs> but then, but then, I, I may have my timeline wrong. But you spent seven years at Computer Center, uh, strategy and M and A, and building this new software division. Was that was that after Lovecraft? Was that before? no? That I was twenty six. Um, so I'd, I'd worked at BCG, then I'd worked in some early stage businesses, including right. Boo.com. And then I joined Computer Center, which was, then it was a FTSE 250. Oh, I and I joined as the group strategy director um, with the M&A um, uh, brief as well. And then after a few years, built a software division within, within Computer Center. Fantastic, listen, thank you for that. Because I, I do think, it, it, you know, I, I'm as fascinated by people's moves into this sector as I am by what they're doing now. So we come on to, to Hero. So we first met, um, I think Ian put us in touch. Uh, I, I think it's perhaps better for you in your own words to explain what Hero is, what it seeks to do. And then, uh, as I said, I'm, I'm very interested to get a feel for what's exciting you the most at the moment. But could, could you outline for people, you know, why you set it up, what it seeks to do? So Venture Capital Fund, thematic focus. Um, we're investing in the future of the way human beings 
interact, socialise, work out, play, have fun. Um, and in the intersections between the physical and digital world, underpinned by the major technology trends. So video games is very much at the heart of that, kind of the largest consumer media sector, um, still growing, um, and probably another 20 years of, of tailwinds, but also the aspect of, um, of consumer uh, consumption, which is really at the cutting edge of new technology. You'll find the early adopter community is in the game space and then it, it sort of spreads out beyond that. Think about the first computer, um, think about the first, um, the, first, the first apps that people were down, downloading on, on telephones, think about the consoles. The so games is where technology cuts its edge um, with, the, with, with, you know, with players, with consumers. Just, just on that, that last point, could you help me understand you know, the, the, the non-games element of it? So could you give an example of, a, say, a company you've invested in or an area you would be looking to invest in that is not a computer game per se, but is still, you know, has that sort of element of interaction? Yeah, I mean, we invested in Zwift, which you might know. It's a, yes. it's a competitor of Peloton, yeah. but a much more hardcore subscriber, yeah. subscription-based business model. Um, it's built in the Unreal Engine, which is Epic's... A video game engine yep. and you know it's a it's a game that you play um, and the controller is the human body on the bike and you can compete with your friends you yep. can so, play yeah. synchronously asynchronously get all your stats measure how you've performed compared to other people you can level up um, and you can cycle through these kind of beautiful virtual spaces as well so it's a great example of how these worlds are converging. And I think we'll see a lot more of that, you know, as processing power is increasing and the size of processors are getting really tiny. You know, fast forward 10, 15 years, we'll have little tiny processing chips all over our bodies measuring everything. Um, and, you know, you know, we will be moving seamlessly between these digital and physical worlds in a way that um, feels more natural and has utility. So, so just on that, uh, and that's fascinating. So, for the, the the elements that a company would need to get onto the, the the hero radar, there is then is that human nature, the measurement, the the interaction, the feedback, and it could be like you say, a Swift. It could be a game. It could be anything where you're you're using data to measure and then perhaps share, stroke, compete. Is that is that fair? Um, it, it, that's one aspect of it. I mean, we've also invested in, uh, to give you some other examples, LV, which is a femtech yes. business. And the first product that LV released was a pelvic floor trainer, which looks a little bit like a tampon yeah. and is worn that. by the woman inside her body. But then she gets her phone out and she's playing ball games on her, moving a ball across the screen by contracting her pelvic floor muscles. Um, the second product they released is a breast pump. Um, it's worn inside the bra, doesn't have any wires, completely soundless. And of course, all of the controls are, you know, in terms of tracking, regularity, production, all done through the apps. So it's more connected hardware um, and replaces, you know, what would have been a very archaic, in both those instances, quite archaic com comparisons. The, the former pelvic floor trainer, I think, would have been a cone given to women in hospital as a sort of rehabilitation yeah. Yeah. device. And the breast pump was a sort of a machine 
was plugged into the wall and you know made terrible sounds and you know women couldn't do anything but sit you know no you know you know now nowadays you can free your hands you know you can yeah. do other things a great examples great examples i realize and actually so you you have this window of um new this is why i'm so excited about this chat uh of uh, new technologies. You've mentioned more data. I, I'm, I noticed I was reading. You've just invested in. Is it um, Soccerverse? Mm-hmm. It was a blockchain game. Could you elaborate a little bit on on that? Because again, I'm guessing that's bringing together a few. Let's just call them recent technologies. Yeah. Well, I mean that that game's really interesting because the the founder, one of the founders of that game, Andy Gore, previously made a game called Soccer Manager Worlds. Um, which has had 25 million downloads and yeah. at peak had 800,000 monthly active users. Uh, and that game is now, he's now sunsetted that game and he's building a football, soccer versus football management simulation game, which is fully on chain. Um, and he's brought in alongside him, Andrew Colissimo, who made Huntercoin, which was the first blockchain game ever made, Bitcoin, Bitcoin based. Um, and that game is in alpha now, it's got, seven, it's got uh, 880 users. And the highest spender has already spent $1,700. So, you know, our thesis there is that I think blockchain games as a sort of mass consumer, mass player proposition is quite a long way away because of all of the friction that exists in being able to start playing the Fatui, the first time user experience. But I think that there are, we believe, very deep niches of people who will demonstrate very, very high engagement and a real commitment to spend and football management, uh, trading shares in football clubs, electing um, electing managers is a is a great example of where you get these very deep committed user bases who dipl- display all of the attributes that I think have the potential to make that very large game. This is a rubbish example, but I'm I'm being ridiculed by my local mates for my team in the Rugby World Cup fantasy um, league as it stands, uh, but but it's it's. It's starting to take over my life because it's, it's bugging the hell out of me that I'm, I'm doing so badly. I, I think um, a random number generator could have probably done better. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I totally get the, the interactivity. Uh, well, I think that, you know, the in, really interesting businesses from a consu- in terms of the consumer-focused businesses are the ones that take existing human behaviours. You know, we're not creating new behaviours. We're taking the existing behaviours but using new technologies to allow those behaviours to be to be played out in a way that is much better for the individual, and that's a great example of it, right? It's it's, it's kind of fantasy football, but on steroids, you yeah. know. And you can, yeah. and actually, if you're going to spend half your life trading football players, well, why not trade shares and why not make money out of it? I've just got to get better at it. That's the only thing. And um, I, I should have asked, uh, um, sort of rough ticket size or you know the the, the attribute you've, you've mentioned some of the attributes you're looking for but in terms of sort of size or the the, the level of investment that you typically put in I mean, there's quite a widespread because we're a thematic fund rather than yes. a generalist fund um we will invest at different stages so from c through to series b i mean the smallest investment we've made is about five hundred thousand euros and the largest in a single investment is 17 million that we invested in Incredibuild, which is an Israeli software business, supercomputing as a service. You know, there's quite a wide, widespread. And then we'll also invest at different stages into the same business as it develops. So you, you're in this position of, 
I'm guessing meeting some fascinating companies and looking at, at this this interaction of new technologies, like you said, with with maybe existing behaviours. So I, I think you know no better person in all in all honesty to to for me to ask you know what is what are the areas that most excite you at the moment? Could you home in on any one or two areas where you think have the most potential? Yeah. Um... Good question, and it's quite timely as well because one of the key jobs I think we have to do as a venture fund uh, within our within our uh, focus market is then to profile the smaller markets that exist within that. And we'll, what we're looking for is markets where the technology uh, the technology adoption means that they're starting to approach. They're on the sort of the path to mass consumer adoption, so the time to scale isn't too high. But we're also looking for sectors, some of which will be a little bit out of fashion, if you like, um, and therefore, from an investment perspective, we'll, we'll have attractive valuations and the opportunity to get in at the right moment and deliver the right return. So, so in that context, I think there are some specific, some really interesting areas. Within the video game space, we're quite interested now in instant games, browser-based games so bypassing the the downloads the app stores the 30% fees and so on but also playing into some of the very exciting very large emerging markets uh, where we're looking at feature phones or very limited bandwidth um, smartphones um, but very large player bases where you can't so India for example very very exciting market from a games perspective but you can't have these kind of heavy games that have to be downloaded onto a mobile device because there just isn't the bandwidth to be able to do that. So, um, And then also games which can be accessed through social networks. Um, that's how the discovery works. You know, your friend is playing a game, you yeah. see it in the feed, you click on, you're playing it instantly, you're playing it with them. We invested in FRVR, which does exactly, exactly that. Um, they have built a pipe, which means you can put a game into their pipe and it instantly is available across, you know, Meta, Discord, which is the game's kind of social social channel, um, Snap, um, uh, TikTok, etc. So you can consume these games anywhere. They load instantly um, and they're super sociable. And that's a great fit, I think, not just financially, but also in terms of the really exciting market, India, Brazil, and so on. It, it, I, um, you're you're going to hate this analogy, but it sounds like Snake for the modern age in, in terms of you know something that's lower bandwidth that can be easily consumed and can be mass mass can reach a mass audience very very quickly um, without yeah. a, you know um, especially in emerging emerging markets. Can I? You, you mentioned um, areas that are not. Um, hugely popular appeal from a valuation point of view. Can I go to the other extreme of that and ask the AI question in that obviously people are very enthused about AI. It does feel to me like there's been a bit of a sort of game change. Uh, uh, for yourselves, how do you feel about that? Are you seeing it, you know, it enabling changes in consumer behaviour? Are you seeing it enabling as a new technology or, or a, uh, um, companies to emerge that we might not have envisaged a few years back. How do you, how do you feel about that? Accepting that actually there's probably quite a lot of hype out there and some quite high valuation expectations. Yeah, well, I mean, interesting. Blockchain games, if you tried to invest in blockchain games 18 months ago, you'd be paying maybe 50 times the valuations that they're raising at, at the moment. I think 
this this hype cycle is probably is is more enduring certainly um but we're still at that sort of crazy peak yeah um and you know ai machine learning is nothing new there and we've been investing in businesses that have those capabilities and are using are using machine learning to build very deep moats around what they do machinations for example a um simulation software that allows uh, game de- game publishers to run Monte Carlo simulations through their game design before they roll out changes so they can model the impact. You know, we've been investing in AI-enabled businesses for as long as I can remember, and, and, and pre-Hero as well. Uh, what's different now is generative AI, and I think the the challenge that a lot of it, a lot of companies are going to have is around the depth of the moat. So we have two, you know, there's sort of two levels at which you can invest in the Gen AI businesses. One is in the fundamental LLMs, the models, which of course have very deep moats based on data. That's not where Hero is going to play. We would need to be maybe two orders of magnitude bigger as a fund to be investing in those companies. So what we're really looking at is the application of, of Gen AI. And there's a lot of application within the portfolio companies. They can do things faster, more efficiently by using this technology. But but the, but the businesses that are raising funding are generally now the application of the of Gen AI to a specific yes. niche. And I think the question there is, how do you build defensibility? How do you build yeah. a long-term moat? And of course, you know, first to market, there are some benefits there, um, but partnerships and distribution reach, I think is, is possibly where we'll see that emerge. So I think we will see we'll see new types of content creator platforms um, along the likes of TikTok, um, yes. but maybe game creator platforms, um, other types of uh, video creation platforms, um, and a small number of them will become will become destinations. Does it, I, devil's advocate? Does it flip the other way um, potentially, Cherry? In terms of if there are high valuations expectations right now. You, you know, you've got a swathe of, of companies across your portfolio. In terms of exits, does it make um, exits more appealing? Does it make the valuation of what you're already invested in? Uh, but if you, or is that, is that not way not to think of looking at it? Where, given where Hero is in its life cycle, I think um, so. On Gen AI specifically, I think most of the businesses that I see there are just too early right. um, to be looking at exits right now. I mean, you know, I think there are some trade sale options but they won't be getting they won't be getting the massive valuations just yet i think some of the valuation lift in gen ai is 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 demand driven rather than based on kind of sort of fundamental fundamental value the market more generally is a bit slow and as you'll be aware all the public market multiples are a bit depressed not all of them um and so generally, I would say the M&A madness has sort of abated a little bit, but good, good businesses are still, getting, are still getting acquired. But it has to be based on fundamental delivery, uh, strong intellectual property, differentiation, deep moats, competitive advantage, and so on. And if we're, it's, I'm conscious of your time, but if we're sat here in a year's time, um, Nobody's got a crystal ball, but where do you think you'll be seeing the most 
deal flow? Where do you think are the companies that you think you'll be the most excited about in a year's time? We're, we're excited about, I mean, we've always been excited about IP. You know, there's nothing better than right. a really breakout IP that can go cross-platform and cross-media. Um, and we have businesses like Skybound that made all the Walking Dead uh, content. Now they have Invincible. You know, we've seen Telltale uh, Telltale Games also fantastic with IP. Um, we've seen the success of The Last of Us, which has gone, you know, from games into into a tremendously successful TV series. Um, so that continues to be, I think, where some of the most exciting businesses are. We're, I guess in a more, more, I guess, a smaller niche would be ad tech. I think ad tech's really interesting. Um, one of those areas that everyone will say, you know, oh, I've seen that before, it didn't work out, or, you know, a lot of value was burnt here. But certainly in the game space, particularly in mobile, where, you know, the publishers of the really successful games didn't want to do anything to touch them for fear of damaging the wonderful growth in cash flow that just seemed to keep coming. You know, those, those, that, those growth rates are starting to level off. And so we're seeing much more creativity and interest in taking risks around monetization. And I think ad techs also come on. Um, and, we, and if you marry that with, you know, the, the, the huge advertisers and brands and advertising agencies, all they want to do is get their brands in front of Gen Z. Um, you can't do that by sponsoring X Factor anymore. That used to be how Vodafone could spend a hundred million dollars yeah. on a huge advertising campaign. Just can't get, just can't get the reach now. And video games is the best way to access that audience at scale. So you know, publishers becoming more open to it, advertisers desperate to get their brands in there. We're seeing a lot of innovation in that space, and I think we'll see a lot of growth there. I, you know, I spoke to one publisher a few months ago who said to me, "I love this. It's like turning water into wine." Um, so, you know, your player base is there, they're on your game. If you can show them an advert digitally, intrinsically in the context of that space, why would you not? I love that. It's it's hard to argue with that. Look, look. thank you so much, Cherry. I, I, I could go on all day, I'm not going to. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks, Harry.